Hello, and welcome to another episode of Color of Change's Tell Black Stories podcast. I'm Rashad Robinson, I'm the president of Color of Change, and we are so excited about this discussion. I wanna first thank our sponsor, the Open Society Foundation, an organization that works to build vibrant and inclusive societies whose governments are accountable to an open participation from all people. Tell Black Stories is an initiative created as an extension of Color of Change's Hollywood work. An initiative to change the rules in Hollywood by ensuring accurate, diverse, empathetic, and human portrayals of Black people in film and television. We collaborate with writers, producers, executives, and influencers to raise industry standards and change representation of Black people and issues impacting us and our communities throughout the entire media landscape. Today, we are here to get into some good trouble. I am so excited to be joined by the amazing director, producer, and composer of a new film on the legendary John Lewis. John Lewis, Good Trouble, which chronicles Congressman Lewis's 60 plus years of social activism and legislative action for civil rights voting rights, gun control, healthcare reform, immigration, and so much more. The movie is compelling. Um, it really does tell the stories and it, it brings in some of the young up and coming members of Congress, but also just really gives us a lot of insight into what made uh, the man and what made him so great. I am joined today by the film's director, Dawn Potter, um, one of the film's producer, Erica Alexander, and the film's music composer, uh, Tamar Kali. Ladies, thank you so much for joining us today. I am so happy. I wanna just start off by having each of you reflect on why this project was so important. There are so many sort of angles to John Lewis's life and we're gonna get into some of them, but I actually want each of you just to sort of, sort of share, like when you get involved with a project like this, um, you get involved with it, um, because you're an artist, you get involved with it because you want to make change, but oftentimes you have to, this has to be something about the subject, right? And I'm interested for you all, um, sort of what particular sort of pieces of John Lewis were compelling um, that made this an, uh, an important project for each of you. Dawn, why don't we start with you? Sure, um, and thank you so much. Um, thank you for the work that Color of Change does. Um, I remember the first time I ever saw you speak someplace and I was like, who is this young brother? So uh, it's really exciting to be here. That must have been a long time ago if you called me young, but, but I, I'll take it. <laughs> you still have the hat. Um, you know, um, I, I was really, needing, craving um, stories of my people that reminded us of strength, resilience, competence, and effectiveness. And John Lewis's story, a lot of us know John Lewis to be brave, but I was really interested in how strategic he is and was, because I think too often our leaders are valued for their bravery, for showing up. But they did so much more than show up. They were trained, they planned, they inspired. Um, and so I really wanted to fill in some of the details of that story. And you know, none of us could have known that the film would be released in this moment. You know, we were thinking that 
it would be released before an election. We would remember he's turning 80. You know, this is a good time to reflect and he's still here with us. But now the, the film takes on a different urgency for, for me, which is, you know, John Lewis always says, if you see something, say something. Um, and I think all of us are reminded of how important our voices are but then you got to follow up that voice with actual action and a plan. And, and that's, to me, um, the reminder of good trouble. So that's why um, this is one of the most important projects that I've ever done. Erica? Well, um, Dawn really directed this documentary and she brilliantly puts the congressman in the spotlight. And I don't think people have seen him like this, frankly. He deserves it. Um, it's more than his roses. It's an opportunity for the audience to finally focus on him. It's an opportunity for him to tell a, uh, about his life story in a way with his brothers and sisters surrounding him inside of Congress, of course, with his son, all of those things. We get to see him. He's always been a part of other people's stories and not just other people, other icon story. But he himself has in that, um, you know, th that uh, light, which is again, is one of the reasons why we know him. He became and is an icon, an American first for, I think they, they talk about the founding fathers. I said, no, we've been finding our fathers and sisters on and on and he's one of them. So I'm really happy that um, not only does she wonderfully do this and um, Kamar has just given him like the uh, background music and, the, and it's not background, it's coming from him, it's coming from, the, um, the story of his life, the story of America, the story of black people, the struggle of us all still here. She's captured that in the, the composition. So when I tell you I get goosebumps thinking about this moment coming together, it's got to be, it's, it's bigger, it's the universe. It's the universe that has brought this to it, brought us to this time with this story. Jamar? Well, for me, um... It's, it's been a short time that I've been composing for film, about four years now. And um, I had yet to do a documentary. And, you know, I've really been focusing on narrative features and it hadn't even occurred to me. But when this project came my way, there was absolutely no way that I, I could not be the one. I truly hoped that I was. Um, it was an opportunity to be a part of something that was so very important. Um, it's rare that you're, you're working on a project that for, you know, t uh, on a subject who you know has directly affected your life mm -hmm. um, and your ability to live the life that you live as a citizen mm -hmm. um, of America. So it, it, was, it, was, it was such a blessing to be a, a part of John's team and um, I was really able to do something with this project because it's based in fact and there's a serious connection and an obvious way that we can trace his actions to how we live today. And also, just as a human being, I find him very inspirational because he's someone who truly walks his talk. Um, his ideology is present in how he shows up every day as a human being living on this planet. So I was very much inspired by that. So Dawn, and maybe Erica, you might want to jump in on this too. I'm really interested, right, in this, um, and there were so many choices you could have made in terms of the sort of journey, like the kind of where you leaned in, and it, you really leaned in on voting um, um, in a way that um, I think was really powerful to his own narrative of the sort of fight, as well as then how he 
um, engage and experience voting as an elected official now, um, from sort of the fight to even the sort of Stacey Abrams um, aspects of um, and the conversations around suppression. I'm sort of interested as you were sort of trying to make those choices, how hard was it to, to make the choice around what do I show in a, in a man that's had so many years on the national stage in so many places where he's um, been so uh, much of a, a leader? Um, you know, with, with a person like Mr. Lewis, it, it is difficult because he has been at the forefront of so much social change. But in the time that we are living, you know, and we were following him right before the 2018 election, right before Stacey Abrams' legendary run for the governor of Georgia. Um, and I had been for the, you know, documentary filmmakers, we kind of get obsessed with certain things. And I have been obsessed with the attacks on voting rights for a number of years now. And uh, I had done a short film um, about a lawyer who was trying to protect voting rights. My background is I'm a lawyer. So the idea to work with a man who helped write the Voting Rights Act, um, who lobbied for it, the president, you know, to President Johnson, and then who was in Congress and introduced HR1 to reauthorize the Voting Rights Act. I mean, that gives you shivers when you think that John Lewis, who fought to have it implemented, was the person in 2019 who introduced HR1, the first law that Nancy Pelosi put up before the newly elected Democratic Congress was HR1. So um, I, I think, you know, watching our political system be so uh, criminally influenced by dark forces, uh, I was really interested in reminding us of this history and how long this fight has, but also how far we have to go. And so Mr. Lewis can't do it by himself. Yeah. You know, he, the, all of our leaders need our help. And that is, it, it makes me crazy when people say my vote doesn't matter. When we see, you know, if not for Wisconsin, we wouldn't have this president. There's so many if nots. Oh, oh that's real. Yeah. John Lewis, um, look, uh, his whole thing, um, he learned that the most powerful uh, nonviolent tool for change was the vote. And he was right on. I mean, he works very hard every day for it. He's made it the, um, the, the central part of how he operates in Congress. He knows it's a cornerstone and the proof of life for this democracy, you know, the strength of it. Um, Dawn is absolutely right. Wisconsin and several other states were undermined um, these past years with voting and we have seen our country suffer. We are now, in my opinion, um, under the rule of people who I think weren't elected um, and their, their, their elections are, are frauds. Uh, frankly, I'm just gonna say it straight out. So uh, the fact that he has skin in the game, he shed the tears, he's got the blood and you know, keep the votes safe because he knows what it, what it may, means when you we talk about making America truly great, then you wouldn't be attacking the vote. That's, that would be the key to it. And we definitely need that to maintain, you know, our freedom, the, the, um, trying to get justice done. We see that, uh, just talking about George Floyd and thinking about how many things could have changed around him if, if different people were in office who, um, if they hadn't suppressed the vote with gerrymandering, all this other 
nonsense. So I appreciate because I appreciate that because I heard that, but I didn't learn that until I was on this um, this uh, project. And certainly, um, um, Dawn is a professor too, by the way. So she showed us the book, you know, her, her reading, <laughs> and it was full of these notes. Erica just likes to make fun of me because I'm a nerd. <laughs> she is. <laughs> and you know what it said to me? Tomorrow I was like, I got to It was it. like, did you read the whole book? Yeah, I was, <laughs> she had that done. And I said, that sister's not playing. And I was, you know, people that I didn't know who surrounded him that she, you know, interviewed. And then I would go back and see why did she interview? So as a producer, I have to say it was a great learning experience, but as a person mm. and as a citizen, it was a really, it was a master class. So I appreciate it. Yeah. I mean, this question is for each of you in sort of different ways. Uh, you know, Dawn, you said, you know, that you, um, you know, lots of times our leaders are positioned as brave or strong and you want to show them strategic. What I found also really interesting is how human, he came across, right? Both in terms of his warmth and humor and sort of the soft charm, right? Like he's kind of like, you know, showed in a lot of places as kind of like a teddy bear uh, a little bit. And then you also get those clips from back in the day when he (laughs) was, you know, him and Julian Bond, you know, had some real stuff and you, and in both, in all those areas, right? How, how music, is used to um, drive and sort of help us come into those moments, whether it was the actual sort of music that was chosen or whether it was like, you know, Pharrell Williams in the actual dancing sort of moment that that was of his own choice from the sort of being a documentary choice. I'm interested in each of you, you know, Erica as an actress, right? And as a person who's oftentimes in, in, is in, you know, narrative scripted sort of dramas where you're bringing forth a character. I just felt the character development um, and how we got to experience someone that is oftentimes an arc, kind of a, an avatar for something great is oftentimes out there as a, a symbol in many ways, and Black people can oftentimes be symbols without backstories um, far too often. I am interested in how each of you sort of thought about what it meant to bring a full human to to life that we oftentimes, when we see, we just go like, oh, John Lewis, thank you for your work. Thank you for your service, which happened throughout the film, but oftentimes that doesn't always give you the human touch. You know, when we talk about marching for our rights, right, the, the most inalienable right is to be fully human, to be flawed, to love, to laugh, to cry, to be angry. And you're right, they're too often, and this is why I really appreciate the series that you're doing, Black people are portrayed in such a one-dimensional manner. They are either criminals or saints, and neither does us any service because there's a little bit of sinner and a little bit of saint in everyone. And it is that, that recognizing the humanity, that is when we will be truly free, right? When I'm allowed to make a mistake as a black person, because if you become the exalted saint, no one can live up to that standard. So you're just waiting for the fall, right? So one of the, the really important things, you know, we are used to seeing fiery John Lewis with an agenda, but at home, he's very quiet, very soft-spoken. He loves art. He loves music. And that may or may not be, and people should ask themselves, if you don't think John, of John Lewis as an art lover, why is that? 
why is that a surprise to you that a man from his humble background is a collector of fine art? And, and those are the conversations that a layered, you know, documentary film, can, um, I think, can bring. And that is why I love the medium so much. But I do also want to speak to the music and, and throw it over to Tamar, because what I asked her for was a modern spiritual and the reason for that is the land and music and really just the history of Black people is so important and fundamental to understanding who Mr. Lewis is that the music was going to become a character in this movie. And tomorrow you don't know this, but I mean, sometimes I wake up and I hum. Mm-hmm. I, I just, her music just pierced my soul and just stayed with me like that music is going to forever be in the world now and it will always remind me of a black person's connection to the land it feels when i hear it it feels warm if he john lewis knows from where he comes and i and i think that the music she wrote says that he is grounded in a way that so many of us are not for me it was just this really wonderful opportunity to uh lean into my roots. Uh, so often here in America, even though, uh, you know, the jazz and the blues, everyone knows that, but so often they cannot see, um, acknowledge or recognize the people. And, you know, almost all my life, people have always asked, but where are you really from? And it's so interesting to imagine that folks who have this wonderful immigrant story from early 20th century, uh, you know, here in the States, Ellis Island, you know, a lot of us have been here since the 1600s. And the fact that people can't even relate to that, even though people are aware of this culture and bathe in the beauty of blues and gospel and jazz, but they could not recognize the people. And this was an opportunity for me to really you know, not pay homage because it's a living, breathing tradition, you know, but to lean into my ethnocultural musical uh, practices and uh, have this wonderful platform. Uh, And I mean, that's only one aspect of the score, that very pastoral, earth-based kind of vibration. Um, But there are just so many moments where you are really overwhelmed and moved by what these people were doing. It was so transcendent. Some of the quotes are like, you know, next level Zen philosophy in terms of the mindset they had to put themselves in to literally be at the whim of people who sought their destruction. That's something other than courage. That's like Christ type benevolence, that's a spiritual power that I myself do not possess. Mm. And um, I was, and you can hear, I I wanted to to create something that, you know, conveyed and emoted my reverence for that. And something, you know, I needed something that that gave you that feeling. It just, you know, it was just very powerful when we really get into how they were training around the nonviolence. I just feel like people don't speak about that practice in the way that they should, you know? Yeah. You want to talk about otherworldly. I mean, that type of benevolence, mm-hmm. you know? And, and so I, I hope that that is translated 
through some parts of the score because I was very much moved by that. And that definitely was um, an inspiration point for me. That's a word. Thank you. Yeah. For real. And you know what? And, the, and he, there he was feeding those chickens too. Yes. Right? Yeah. I mean, you know, because John's right St. Francis, Francis Assisi. He's I like, know. so, I, I, you know, <laughs> I grew up Catholic, but I saw that. There you, oh, wow, that's right. No, but, you know, he, he, she, she's totally right. I didn't know that he had an art collection like that, and who would? We needed yeah. to go to his home, and he had to trust on enough to allow, allow her in. You know, he's a very private man in a way that those men were, and uh, men and women, they're, you know, they're from a different time. But you're right, it, transcend, it transcends time, what they did, because that is otherworldly. I, I'm totally with you. I don't know what I'd do if, to be asked to be dogs to sick on me, people to spit on me. You know, we, we see that with the Karen thing going on, where people are just, you know, uh, calling the cops on people. White women are spitting on people because they've been asked to put on their masks. I keep thinking I got to remember what John Lewis would do because all I could see myself is just, just turn on your phones, y'all. I'm going to jump like a cat. You know what I mean? You know, I, I just can't, uh, girl, am I, li- am I lying? Am I lying? I go to get my bagel when I get spit on. Some, okay, I'm trying not to have those thoughts. That's why I love it. That's why I love it. Yeah, yeah. Everyone, you didn't actually even have to finish it. As you were saying it, everyone like shook their head. I know our listeners are like, yes. We true. Too. We hear you, Erica. We know. Because- you know what stops me? And I can't speak to this. I'm not carrying my own face. I'm carrying Max's face. Mm. That character, I, you know, he gets to be himself, John Lewis, which I appreciate. But there's so much expectation for people, for people when they see me because they know me from another picture. Mm-hmm. That has stopped me a many a time from acting an all out fool or being base or my mother saying uncouth. Mm-hmm. And I really appreciate that. And so maybe we should all see ourselves a little bit like that as carrying his face with us because now we are part of his story. And it would be so crazy for me to be going wilding out at the Orange Julius at this point. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I didn't know that there was even Orange Julius's left, but you know, so that could go. So there, so there you go. <laughs> Do not tar the, the, the name of the Orange Julius, yeah, Erica. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We, 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 uh, we will not. I'm, I'm interested in the footage. Um, there was a lot of like old footage and, uh, um, Tamar brought up the, uh, the sort of the training around nonviolence, which I, which was like triggering to me. <laughs> I was like, I don't even know if I could go through the training. Um, and I was watching, as I was watching that training, I was just thinking sort of about that. I was also just thinking about stories about um, the civil rights movement that I had heard from uh, Congressman Lewis himself, from Julian Bond himself, you know, growing up as an activist, having had experiences with both of them where they both sort of told stories. And, you know, it always felt like when they told the stories of the violence, it had been like really rehearsed. Mm. Like, because they'd probably had to tell those stories. And oftentimes they had to tell those stories probably where they decided what they were going to tell you and yeah. what they were not going to tell you. And like those stories were compact. And so I got a lot, I always got a lot more stories about strategy yeah. um, than I got about like the pain, which I can appreciate. But seeing that video just reminded me like, of course they had to be like trained in that. I'm interested yeah. in sort of both in terms of like 
finding that footage and any like nuggets or tidbits that you like couldn't fit in because it didn't fit the sort of arc or didn't work in sort of the story that you feel like as as folks who are listening, who are um, as a, in a country, in a, in a community that we always don't appreciate our history as much. What should we be looking for? What should we go back? If people want to get more of that footage and see yeah. more of it, where should they go for it? Um, you know, so we, I have a spectacular archivist and he combs through, you know, so many home movies, uh, movies from other activists, from Bernard Lafayette, from the National Archives, from the local archives. Um, so the training footage, um, I believe, was part of a longer uh, piece that was an immersive film done for the news networks about the civil rights activists. Um, and it's the main protagonist is a man named Jim, Reverend Jim Lafayette who is still a reverend and he still teaches a nonviolent workshop every uh, fourth Saturday in Los Angeles. And I went to his workshop where it was very well attended and he will tell you the same lessons that he taught John Lewis and Bernard Lafayette and all of those young people, he is still preaching those lessons today. And it was, there was just something, I just felt so connected in time that there was this this beautiful black man who has always believed in nonviolence and continues to to speak to its power and there's something transformational when he talks about it is powerful to hold your anger it is powerful to be forgiving and not let anger overtake you so um you know, I like Erica and, you know, there's, I'm kind of with Representative Clyburn who said he was never as nonviolent as John. Um, but, you know, we can all have goals. So <laughs> we can, we can look for that. Um, we had much more about um, his art. We had um, more about his uh, current congressional struggles. We had so much to work with. But as you said, we, we kind of needed to streamline it yeah. through. And I think knowing the timing that the film was going to be released, you know, I made the decision to really focus on voting and focus on our current. We thought that was going to be the big issue of the day, voting. We didn't know there was going to be a pandemic and, you know, racial strife and a worldwide global protest for racial change. So not knowing those things, <laughs> um, I think, you know, uh, the movie holds up for those issues as well. So, great, great. So, Tamar, I'm interested in sort of as you started looking at like the artists that you would select, the music that you would make. Um, I, I would love for you to expand upon sort of you know what you were saying, sort of in terms of the sort of spiritual aspect, and and what Dawn was saying about the spiritual aspect. About I'm interested in because there was also some sort of um, music where we where we knew the words that sort of built up emotion and sort of where you chose the sort of music that I think we had sort of touch points to already versus introducing us to things. Um, just the sort of interested in the sort of process for how that comes about. So um, when I'm composing original score, which is what I did for this project, yep. something I did um, for this project that I've not done for other projects, but the occasion called for it was to create some music 
that would function kind of like a source cue. And source cue is essentially music that's found and placed. And so I um, recreated a, a field holler. And um, I also did a, a version of um, Circle Unbroken, which is in the public domain. Yeah. Um, and I got some colleagues to sing um, with me on kind of those things. But essentially, in coming to this, I approached it like a narrative feature because there's a storyline and a story arc. And so once I decide on what my instrumental palette will be, what instruments I'm using, then I kind of want to work on a musical arc, like how music is going to underscore the journey that's depicted in the film. And uh, Dawn had a very clear vision in terms of talking to me about this modern spiritual, this pastoral element that needed to be a part of the story because of his connection to the land. Mm. Um, and then from there, I just, you know, let the film speak to me, let those moments, whether it was archival footage or his family speaking about him or his colleagues in government speaking about him, just to really hone in on the emotional underpinnings, you know, of what they were saying. Uh, yeah. And I mean, it was, it, it flowed. It flowed. I mean, there's definitely a voice to the film. I'm grateful for that. And I think we were able to thread and tie everything together in a way that really works and it's cohesive. And, you know, I, it was just a pleasure. Like, honestly, I, I was so inspired. And that's what that's the space I try to stay in. Um, I've come to working with film in an earnest desire to collaborate with artists across disciplines. So for me, 20 plus years as an independent performing and recording artist, I'm here to engage with other people and have that experience of collaboration. And so in that regard, um, I pick projects that I can feel some resonance. There's a stirring. And uh, this was, you know, even more so because of the personal connection and just, you know, this time that we're in in the world right now. And, you know, like your citizenry being questioned, your humanity being questioned. Of course, there was some more passionate connections, but um, it, the, the flow was not hard to come by because I was definitely inspired. So my next question is Erica, but maybe Dawn might have something here too. You know, our, we have this program called Tell Black Stories. And part of that is, you know, specific stories, right? Not painting over characters with diversity, but specific, diverse, the range of stories, right? Black folks are not one thing. And, and in so many ways, telling black stories, so many of the barriers we end up with around telling black stories in a capitalist society is money and all the ways in which um, resources become uh, the thing that that sort of uh, creates their barriers or is maybe used as the barriers uh, to making um, sort of the stories that, sh that tell our lives, that shape our lives, the stories that um, help amplify who we are, um, that prevent them from moving forward. And so I'm interested from you in terms of like, as the producer, sort of the, the path, right? As a producer to like getting this film uh, fully backed and supported, getting it from a uh, concept to life. Cause you know, there'll be a lot of people now that will have probably um, patting themselves on the back for all that they did to be part of this film. But there's no film that involves like black people in this type of light that um, there wasn't some sort of kind of work to be done to move it from 
uh, sort of vision work to, you know, the thing that we actually see? Yeah, well, as one of four producers and Dawn is, um, and Laura Michael Chisholm, her producing partner at Trilogy, um, they're partners and then I'm partnered with uh, Ben Arnon at Color Farm. Let me just tell you, one of the best things that ever happened was that Dawn is one of the best filmmakers of her generation. That's a fact. That sort of does a lot of the work of fundraising for you because she has spent her time um, showing them what she's capable of. And she's already in having conversations with people who want to do business with her and who want her to tell those stories. And so that helped us because at the time um, we were not those people. We were certainly, um, I have a background in film and television as an actress, but as a producer at all, um, nothing to speak of that was produced that anyone could see. So Dawn will speak more to that um, side of it, but I can just say to your end about the, the art of getting into good trouble in, in entertainment, it's tough because mo a lot of people aren't funded and it's very hard to find people that will back you and say, you know, we believe in what you're making and it's good. Or they'll say that, but then they'll pat you on the back and let you go on your way because, well, you know, come back when you're, you're more further down the road. I, we need you to be more. No, we need you to be more ready. It's wrong to turn away. African-Americans have been, to me, the biggest culture shapers in world history. That's a fact. In my opinion, 13%, we have done so much. And when you look at all the things that we've accomplished with all these things against us, but with all the, the bounty in front of us, we've always tried to synthesize these things and create new innovative ways to tell stories. But no, everybody was telling those stories except for us. And as long as they can keep those stories away from being uh, told from these people who are so capable then they're able to generate the type of climate that you can choke a, a black man in the street and think you can get away with it. And that's a fact. So if we don't tell our stories and you, and Dawn is right too about, it's not about angel and good and bad. We, we, we should be three dimensional. She's absolutely right. But in order to get those people who are sophisticated enough to tell those stories and also understand the underlying nature of what we've been under. So it feels real to us. We're going to need the help of people like the Dawn um, Porters in life and people out there, but we're also going to have to help new people come in, different voices who need our help in order to tell those stories in a whole different way. You know, um, I very much appreciate what Erica said, and she is truly my, you know, my own mother couldn't do a better job of <laughs> <laughs> telling people I walked before I was two. Um, uh, I will say this, you know, obviously having a, a subject like John Lewis means that's a film that most people can understand. You still have to, you have to show a vision for how it's going to be executed. Um, you know, as you pointed out, Rashad, like it's, there's so many different ways you can go. But even with all of that, so with CNN, with a major broadcaster, with the most famous civil rights icon of all time, we had to have four partners in order to create a budget, because I wasn't going to do some sometimey budget for Mr. Lewis. This is a seven-figure movie. I'm proud of that. We, you know, that that we were able to raise that amount of money. Um, but that also included a grant from the Ford Foundation from Darren Walker, who shows up for Black Stories. 100% shows up. And um, so this film... Um, it took a lot, you know, Laura, Michael Chisholm is a spectacular producer. She used to work for Robert Redford. 
and she, you know, really like we all were, were such a, everybody brought their piece to, but, but it shows you, look at the effort. I mean, this should be like falling off a rock, right? Mr. Lewis, he's about to turn 80 and we needed four partners and people with a lot of experience in order to make sure, you know, we had the resources. I also want to say um, that I have heard recently that a white company is looking to reboot Eyes on the Prize. And yes, and you know, it was, it came to me as a director, so I'm probably gonna get in trouble for saying this, but I was just floored that as we literally, as we sit here and speak about telling black stories and who should tell them, I, I, it just, it just stunned me that this was the time that somebody would step in to re, I, I don't know, to re-envision, reimagine the seminal documentary for the black experience the breathtaking nerve <laughs> to do that at this time it just says something so um you will hear more about that mm -hmm. but um I hope so I, you know I, I just I hope that I understand and appreciate people wanting to facilitate stories yeah but I don't want to be a work for hire on the story of my people when I'm a very accomplished and experienced producer. And, you know. Wow. Yep. yep. If you want to get behind black creatives, then get behind black creatives. Yep. Don't appropriate mm -hmm. that creativity. That is not allyship or supportiveness. That is commercial. Mm. 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 And eyes on the prize is not commercial to me. It, yeah. it is, it is our Bible. Yeah. Mm. So I have two more questions. I have a little shout out to oh, yeah. yes. Barksdale who gave us our first money in. And yes. there, are, there are really wonderful people who give people a shot just by saying, here, I give them an infusion of, of funds for you to get started. And, and, do, and she's one of them. And she's at the Rockdale uh, Foundation. And I just want to say thank you because she's a yeah. good woman. So I have two more questions. This one's for you, Dawn, and the last one is for all of you. Um, and something we ask on all of our Tell Black Stories um, uh, podcasts. So I'm, I'm interested, and I think listeners and viewers are, how did uh, Congressman Lewis like it? Like, how did he, <laughs> like, what, what was he like when he watched it? Like, what was his, um, you know, how, how was he, you know? How did he... Well, so I, uh, I live in California, so I flew to Washington, D.C. with, you know, my, my laptop on, and the film on my laptop. And by that time, we knew that the congressman was facing, uh, you know, stage four pancreatic cancer, so he couldn't travel. This was before we were shut down with pandemic. Uh, and we had a whole big, beautiful screening plan for him in Atlanta, and he couldn't travel. So I said, well, I'll just go to his house. <laughs> So, um, you know, so I knew that he was sick. I knew that he was starting treatment, all the rest of it. I didn't know what to expect. So he answers the door. He's dressed up like he always is in a beautiful blue sweater. And I said, Mr. Lewis. And he said, you know, come in. And uh, he had tea for me. And we watched the movie together. Uh, my heart was in my throat. Like, it's very difficult to watch a movie with somebody. Uh, he got a little teary. 
he kept shaking his head. He kept saying, this is so powerful, so powerful. And I'm thinking to myself, it's your life that is powerful. You know, it's still, I think sometimes he still is John Robert Lewis, 15 years old in Troy, Alabama. And he, I think sometimes he can't believe things. So, um, so it was very moving. It was one of probably the best moments of my life to tell you the truth, to sit there and watch him. I think, you know, you know, what's so brilliant about Ava DuVernay's title, When They See Us, is I think he saw himself the way so many of us see him. Yeah. And that is a gift that art enables. So after we watched, it was just me, him, his chief of staff. And then we just talked for another couple hours, just about this and that and nothing and everything. Um, It was very, very special. So um, he is blown away by the response. Um, You know, he's still getting into good trouble. So um, it's not often that you get to really share with a subject like that, you know, and really know that he's taken it all in. So, um, so it was great. Dawn, what did you think when you saw him on the the Black Lives Matter Boulevard? (laughs) So that's a great story. Um, So Michael Collins, his chief of staff called and said, I really want him to be able to see that. I know he wants that. So because I'm very bossy person, Erica says all the nice parts, (laughs) but I am a bossy older child. I was like, oh, make sure you you put him right on it and have him do this. And and Michael, like he executed it. But so Michael um, had three photographers and, you know, I worked with him and we, he picked out the photographer. Um, I just was like walking on clouds, seeing Mr. Lewis mic drop on the Black Lives Matter sign in front of the White House, stage four pancreatic cancer. Didn't he get up and go see that sign? And I know that 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 was, you know, air underneath his wings. Um, That is what he's always fought for. Right. And to see he, he knows his life's legacy is in good hands. It's in good hands with you, Rashad. I, I want you to hear me. It is in good hands with you and color of change. And it is in good hands with many of our allies and, you know, an activist in Black Lives Matter, the NAACP, Legal Defense Fund, so many other organizations. We are not alone. And sometimes we can feel very lonely. Well, that was very kind. And I like to end with this question. Sometimes it's a hard question for folks. Sometimes it's an easy question. My, when I, my answer sometimes changed depending on the season. But we ask everyone this question um, in our Tell Black Stories podcast. What is one um, Black story um, that has not been told um, or hasn't been told the way you think it should be told that you would love to see on the big screen or you would love to make come alive? Ida Wells. She's my girl. Uh, I want to do the feature on Ida Wells. I mean, I have so many more questions, but I'm only supposed to, I'm not supposed to follow up to this one. I have so (laughs) many follow-ups, like who plays it? What part of her life? But we're not going to go all there, but it's- I know it all. I've laid it all out. But but in the era of like, of of all the attacks on journalism, Black Lives, I don't, yes. The red record traveling through Europe, took her baby to the White House. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> with her insisted on marching with the white women yes. like the mommy wars with Susan B. Anthony. I mean, her story is, is, you know, just, it, it is a, a, it's monumental. So. Yes. I, I'll step on this, but you know, um, I, I'm, st- I'm still stuck. Go ahead. 
Um, I, I can't. I can't think. The first thing that comes to your mind is generally the best. Well, I was thinking of you know um, Ella Baker and Fannie Lou Hamer, but you know I do know that I think Anjanu's working on something like that, which I think would be fantastic. Yeah. But I thought, you know, there's all those women that worked on the civil rights, and they don't they didn't get their play, and it's just very much like today. So I would love to see that. Sure. I hear this might be in the works, but um, as a Gullah Geechee gal, I would love to see um, the story of Congressman Robert Smalls. Uh huh. Big Um, I'm presently doing um, a series of short orchestral pieces that focus on the Gullah Geechee during the time of the Civil War and Reconstruction. Um, (laughs) and there's just so much there's just so much there in terms of our history Um, but yeah I think his his story is quite interesting this is commandeering a confederate navy ship and getting himself to freedom to becoming you know to joining the house of representatives doing reconstruction this has been incredible thank you thank you each of you for this time, uh, for joining us. It's been a pleasure. Um, And um, make sure you listen to this episode and more on Apple Podcasts and wherever you stream. I am Rashad Robinson signing off. Make sure you take some time for some good trouble. Um, It will be airing um, on CNN. CNN in September and out on streaming platforms July 3rd. Out on streaming platform July 3rd. So a lot of y'all will still be in the house. And so you have plenty of time to connect with um, our history and with our future. So. Yes, and go to makegoodtrouble.com so you can see how you can make your own good trouble. And thank you. Uh, I love that. I love that. Clear action. Um, and keep telling Black stories. Um, I'm Rashad Robinson, and I will see you next time.